0: Welcome back. This is Taylor Kovar and Jeremy Gilliam, and welcome to The Millionaire Marriage Show. We are super excited today. We have regional, as they would call it, celebrities, <laughs> but worldwide celebrities, David and Melissa, Melissa Radke here with us. Melissa is the author of the book, Eat Cake, Be Brave. Their videos have been viewed hundreds of millions of times i'm gonna say on social media uh huge hits have just dominated social media over the last couple of years and they're right here from our hometown so i'm thrilled to have you here we're shooting from my home and so we're very excited david and melissa welcome and i would just love to hear what's your love story tell us a little about yourself tell us your love story and we'll kick it off that way
1: Well, thank you so much for having us. I'm happy to be here. Are you? I'm very happy to be here. Well, I say that because I'm a friend of the camera, and I'm a friend of the
2: microphone.
1: (laughs) Um, And David is not. David is the...
2: The behind the scenes. He
1: does. He likes the behind the scenes. I think that's why we're a perfect fit, because I like the front of the scenes. But our love story is... Honestly, not super special. Met in college. I wouldn't even call it a love story as much as I would call it a friendship story that turned into love. The best kind. The best kind. He actually um, asked me to go pay a phone was it a phone bill or electric bill
2: we were you know we were really stepping it up we were getting a phone line in our dorm room oh this was the 90s everybody and and i actually said hey you want to go with me when we when i set it up
1: and so i said sure i was walking across campus and i hopped in his car with him we knew each other a little bit you know but i knew he wasn't a serial killer so i jumped in the car with him and we went and ended up laughing our heads off and i thought this guy, this is an idiot. This is my kind of guy right here, and he told me later that he went to bed that night and he told his roommate, I, "I've got to get to know that girl better. There's just something about her. I want to be her best friend." Man. Is what yeah. he said, and boy, he he did too. We qu- became fast, fast friends. So fast, in fact, that I fixed him up with a girl on my hall <laughs> at school. And honestly, that's because I did not grow up dating a lot at all. I, I was every guy's best friend, right? I was every guy's buddy, but I yeah. was never the, ro- uh, always the bridesmaid, never a bride kind of thing. And so I didn't date in high school. And so I did not think David would ever be interested in me other than just a good time, just a friend, you know? So I fixed him up with girlfriends on my hall. and
2: Well, and my- the podcast listener can see how attractive I am.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so I fixed him up with a girl on my hall. She was the head cheerleader. At our school, wow. and she liked him a lot. They, they they seemed to, I thought he liked her too.
2: She was nice. <laughs>
1: but he was dating her, I found out, for her car. Because she drove a really <laughs> awesome car, and whenever they would go out on a date, she would let him drive it. This there's, is, there's nothing wrong
2: with that, okay? This, there is nothing wrong <laughs> okay, with that. This is going to date me, but it was the year the Eagle Talon came out. I don't know if y'all remember that. No, sports because car. they
1: were probably just. It sounds cool. It
2: sounds
0: inside cool. Inside. I don't know what it is, but it I'm bored.
2: It was a really nice sports car. Yeah. And she let me drive it. So,
1: so I, I was scheduled to go out with him one night. We were going to go Christmas shopping, he and I. And he asked me, unbeknownst to me, he had broken a date with her. And to to go Christmas shopping with me and she was furious and she came to my room her and all of the cheerleaders on the cheerleading team and they asked me if I would record him talking about her get him to talk about me and record it. That sounds like a movie. Oh, no. This is real life. I know. And Reese Witherspoon should play it. (laughs) She should. (laughs) Anyway. We'll put a plug in here. So i put a Sony Walkman. I know y'all are so much younger than us. But anyway, I put a Sony Walkman in the top of my purse. And I left it open so that I could record him. I got in the car with him. And I said, you know, you are so stupid. Why did you break a date with her? We could have gone Christmas shopping any time. And why would you do that? I mean, she likes you. And what's the deal, y'all? I mean, you know. And I remember him saying... You know, I'm only dating her for that car, right? And I was like, oh my word, we are <laughs> recording this. But it was actually that night, we, he took me to eat at this really fancy restaurant. Okay, I don't want your listeners to be intimidated by me and our wealth, but it was called Macaroni Grill. Ooh. And I know, I know everybody right now is like, oh, they're so fancy.
0: And you're in my home right now. <laughs> wow, like, guys, we should have cleaned up more.
1: But it was that night at Macaroni Grill that he told me with the tape running, That he was in love with me, and that I was his very best friend, and he had fallen in love with me, and he wanted to know if I would consider dating him. And this is all on tape. Wow. And we got back to the room that night, and the whole cheerleading squad was sitting in the room waiting for me to play the tape. And so I
3: did oh, no. and because
1: that's what you do when you were never <laughs> asked to prom. And that's what you do when you never got to date and all the cheerleaders did. So yes, I put it in and I played it for him and then he found out about it and he took the tape and he put it underneath the front wheel of his car and he backed over it like a thousand times and crushed that tape to smithereens. And we don't have that tape. Emily, today. What would you give for to have that oh. tape right oh, now? Oh my yeah. goodness.
2: I really, my, my, uh, rage has gotten much better that's I, good i really <laughs> wish we had that i would do anything for that
1: but as you know I, I will i will be totally honest with you guys i called my mother that night <laughs> i just cannot believe i'm telling this please no i had david was my first kiss everything okay i called my mother and i said to my mom on the phone from college and then he backed over it and then he backed over it again and he was so furious and my mother said and then what happened melissa and i said. Then we made out. (laughs) We made out so hard, and my mother goes, "Don't call me anymore and tell me this stuff. It upsets me." So that's how David and I fell in love.
0: That's a pretty great love story. I mean, you say it's not. I love that story. That's really great, and I have zero problem with dating somebody for their car. So Meg and I have been dating previously before we turned sixteen, but when she turned sixteen, she got or her parents bought her a brand new t-top camaro right black i was driving a 15 year old beater and so everywhere we went we drove her car right and met. so everybody thought it was mine i was like yeah sure sure it is I and mean, we ended up getting married but yeah it worked out so so
1: you were high school sweethearts we
0: were yes yeah and,
1: and that works that's it, did. Really it does
0: work it does so definitely I mean, there's been issues here and there obviously but we've worked it out we raised each other and yeah. i thought she was through growing because she's tall and she thought <laughs> i was going to continue to grow and i haven't so um, <laughs> i mean we're, we're both here but yeah so we're high school sweethearts been together 20 something years and
1: how long have you been married
0: we've been married 15 almost 15 don't get almost that 15, wrong yes almost 15 almost 15
1: and but yeah. you were together for many since years. we were
0: 14 so wow. we've been together 21 years that's wow.
1: awesome yeah <laughs> well we got married at 20 and 21 we've been together 27 years and um we can't believe that we've made it because when you get married so young, you are continuing to grow and change and evolve. Absolutely. I mean, you, yeah. you are not at 40 who you were at 20. Yeah, And so, so many marriages when they start off young like that, they really can't, make it through all of those life changes and what life throws at you and so i'm amazed at us i'm proud of us and i'm committed to us for sure but i mean man god is good because we've been through some stuff he is <laughs> and,
0: and that's what i tell people all the time like these young couples that we talk to it's it's good to go through stuff you know diamonds are formed under pressure and i look back at looking at several of the things that megan and i've went through and like even though i hated going through that and i wouldn't want to go through it again i'm so thankful that we did because it definitely made us who we are. It, yeah. it built our relationship. It it solidified our relationship with God and with each other. And so I completely understand. Yeah. yeah. And so let's get into some more of your story, right? So I know in your book, Eat Cake, Be Brave, mm-hmm. and some of the things y'all talked about your infertility journey. Can we talk about that? Can we, a lot of our listeners deal with infertility. It's something a lot of young couples deal with, and, and there's a lot of stress and hurt and things that go in that. Do you mind kind of sharing that story? Oh, no, we're oh, an no, open no. book.
1: You ask, we'll tell you.
0: Awesome. All right. So how, how'd you find out? Like what what was, what was that? What's that story and stuff?
1: Well, we had been married for four years. Everybody will always tell you when you first get married, hold off on having children, hold off on having children. And so we said, okay, you know, and we moved to Nashville. We wanted to be in the music business. I wanted to be a singer. He wanted to be a manager. So we thought that'd be perfect. And so we moved there to kind of pursue those dreams. And so we did hold off. But by the time I was 24, my clock was ticking and people, some people think that's a myth. It's not for a woman. It, it, you begin to want children. And we tried for about a year to know success And so we eventually made an appointment and went in and we were diagnosed with unexplained infertility. Now that's after many doctor's visits, but there was just, they tested him, they tested me, they looked at this, they, they, you know, did blood work, you name it, everything they could. And that's what they came back with, unexplained infertility, which is such a punch in the gut, because what that means is you can't have kids and we don't know why see you later. And um, they what all did we try? I mean... I can't oh, think of anything we didn't. The
2: so. only thing we did not try was um, in vitro.
1: Right, that we, we did not try IVF, and that's only yeah. because we were broke as convicts. Yeah. I think mean, we <laughs>
2: really yeah, we, were. We would have tried that if we, yeah, yeah. So it was just a a long journey, and that was so frustrating. In we don't we didn't have it, especially as a man. I think you always want to yeah. fix something or you want to find sure. a solution, and multiple doctors, multiple tests. There was just there was no reason for it, and and then. We started getting surprised by having pregnancies, mm-hmm. but then we couldn't keep the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And so we had multiple miscarriages. Yeah. Uh,
1: so it took us about four years to get pregnant the first time. And then we miscarried it about seven weeks. And then it took us about two and a half years to get pregnant the second time. And then we miscarried about seven weeks. And then we took us another year to get pregnant. So eventually we, we could we could see that over long periods of time we could get pregnant, but then the to be unsuccessful at it. You talk about, as a woman, feeling like you are failing on all fronts. I can't get pregnant like my girlfriends. Then when I do, I can't keep the pregnancy like my girlfriends. Then I can't have the baby. I mean, it just was so defeating. And I had already been someone that battled depression and anxiety a lot in my younger years. And so it really was Truly, I was drowning in the deep end. That's the only way I can describe it. Infertility is so heartbreaking. It makes your marriage feel like a science project every time you want to have sex. It doesn't feel authentic. It feels like a task. I felt like I was a letdown to him. He wanted to have children as bad as I did. I thought I was a letdown to him. He felt like he was a failure to me because he was like, what if it's my problem? I mean, you just, it's so grim.
2: And I think to add insult to injury, we were over a Sunday school class at our church that had, I don't know, 80 to 100 people in it, all young couples. And oh, so man. it felt like every single week somebody was bumping into each other getting pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And all these baby showers and yeah. all these, you know, celebrations while yeah. we're over here hurting. And and as the and
1: leader of the Sunday these. school class, who helps throw the shower?
2: Yeah, Yeah. I
1: do. And so I started seeing a... <clears throat> I started seeing a counselor, a therapist about it because it was just so hard on my emotions. And so I just feel for women so much who are dealing with this, but I'll never forget one thing he said to me. He said, Melissa, why don't you just start being honest about your feelings? When, when a baby shower is going to be held and you're invited or whatever, you're asked to host us. Why don't you say this? I can't, I'm really, really happy for you, but I'm just really sad for me. He said, just be honest with people. I'll never forget him saying that. And I actually did it. It took a lot of nerve. I will never forget. I was on the phone one time and I said, Erin, I can't come to your baby shower because although I'm very, very happy for you, I'm just really sad for me. And I remember her going, well, you know what? That's, that's okay. I'm so glad you said something. Uh I mean, that was the first time I started just being truthful about how I felt, how we felt. We were growing apart during that time. I was depressed. I was uh, just so full of sadness and we, it took a toll on us. And so I'll, I'll let you ask questions, but yeah, it was a really difficult time.
3: So I, I guess what I'm curious about, cause that is obviously as you guys know, i have to tell you this something very, very difficult to, to navigate as a couple. And I guess I'm just like, my mind goes to like couples I've worked with in therapy and, their struggles with it. I'm just. I guess what I'm curious about: how did you guys keep yourselves from completely ripping apart as a couple? Because I, I know there's been a few that a few couples I've worked with that their marriage just completely dissolved over it. I mean, they just they couldn't tolerate the tension that not being able to have kids brought. So what 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 was that like for you guys? And how did you guys just not come apart at the seams?
2: Well, I would say I would say on the first miscarriage we. We did relatively well i guess we tend to kind of lean into each other and supportive friends and family and those kind of things and this
0: is four years in mm-hmm.
2: yes and so well no, it was probably a little bit further because we didn't even try starting until four years but it was so four years, years
1: before we got pregnant oh yes, yeah, yeah, infertility, yeah yeah
2: and so so i felt like we i guess handled if that's the the best way to say it, we handled it okay the second miscarriage we did not and and it it almost did completely tear us apart because for whatever reason, we didn't do what we did on the first miscarriage. We both kind of went to our own corners and she grieved her way and I grieved my way. And all of a sudden we have this massive kind of chasm between us Mm -hmm. and we were really, really close on the verge of it. We
1: we, We also had done something that has little to do with infertility, but I'd still like to talk about it. During this time, David and I were, the leaders, like we said, of this Sunday school class, and we had a lot of young couple friends. And we did something that I don't think is talked about enough. We began to erase some of the guardrails around our marriage. It seems to be funny to be really off color sometimes mm-hmm. with your friends, sex talk, sex jokes, some things like that. As I've gotten older, I've realized the harm that can do to your marriage. It it erases boundaries around your marriage and it allows people to see your marriage and speak into it and and laugh about sex and all that. And what I hope I'm just explaining that correctly, but
2: when you talk, when you have those conversations with other couples, it does it makes you feel more comfortable. To talk about those things that you really should just be talking about with your spouse. Definitely. We we
0: just an episode over boundaries in marriage. And a lot of it was about getting too comfortable with other couples. Yeah.
1: Well, what happened was we got way too comfortable with our best couple friend. And at the time they were going through a separation and a bad place in their marriage, as were we. And David and her began to confide in each other. And why wouldn't he? I hated him. I mean, I, I kept losing babies and blaming him and I hated myself and I was gaining weight and b- my face was breaking out. I didn't want anybody to touch me because the pills I was taking and the injections I was given make me angry and hormonal and I'm I'm mad at the world. So we had nowhere to go and nobody to talk to. and Because we had blurred those lines, she felt an access to him. And so David ended up having what I guess our culture would call an emotional affair with her. And I found out about it and I knew then that I had just failed as a woman. I I now couldn't do anything. I couldn't even hold this marriage together. And so I left David and I came back home to Lufkin to where my parents lived. We were in Nashville at the time and I left him. And I think it was during those two weeks that David and I just knew We, we just were crazy about each other. Like this was worth fighting for. This was worth going home for. It was worth redrawing those lines and, and pulling up the the guardrails again. Like he was worth the fight. I didn't want to lose this too. If I'm going to lose pregnancies, that's one thing, but I can't also lose him. And so we went to marriage counseling and we have been in marriage counseling on and off through the years. It has been a savior for us. I believe in it wholeheartedly. Gone are the days when that is taboo. Thankfully. Gone thank are the you. days. And so we openly talk about the fact that we've had to seek counseling several times in our marriage. It's made it's done better for us. Every It's made us stronger every time. And thank goodness we did because we we worked on our marriage. Our marriage was saved. Their marriage wasn't. It ended, Mm -hmm. but ours didn't. And it became stronger. And I swear that that must be because God knew what was coming because we had not dealt with the worst of it yet. After that, we had a couple of more miscarriages and then we got pregnant for real. Like we got pregnant for real. We passed the seven week mark. We passed the nine week mark. We passed the 12 week mark. Every time we went to the doctor, we got more excited and there was the baby and sorry, <clears throat> there was the baby, and the baby was moving around, and the baby was kicking, and we—this was it. We were so excited, and it was—it was a beautiful time. I mean, gifts started pouring in because everybody in our community and our village was like, "Finally!" It was so exciting. And then we went to an appointment, and uh, the doctor said something's wrong, and I, it's above my pay grade. You're going to have to go see a specialist. We went to Vanderbilt Hospital to a specialist there in high-risk pregnancies. And the child was very, our baby was very sick. And so what ha- what they told us was, listen, you're going to carry this child probably to full term, but it won't live. Mm. And our son, his name was Elisha. He was born on Christmas morning of 2005. He came several weeks early. He was supposed to be born uh, near Valentine's. He came several weeks early and it was really remarkable, remarkable because... My family was due to fly in the next day and and spend Christmas with us because of the high risk pregnancy. I couldn't fly. They were scheduled to fly in and spend Christmas with us, but I went into labor early. And so I had to call them. And when I called them from from Vanderbilt Hospital, I could hear, it was Christmas Eve night, I could hear everyone laughing and opening gifts and eating. And I had to say to my mom, Mom, I'm in the hospital and, and he's coming early. And they couldn't get to me and she couldn't be there. But I can't think of anything better to have happened because when he was born, we had an hour and a half with him and it was just us. There was no passing him around to family members. There was no everybody getting their few minutes with him. We got every bit of that time and it was a really precious, but we made it through that because we had made it through the hard stuff before. Like every single time, God just helped us get smarter (laughs) And, and stronger and wiser because he knew what was coming, you know? And if we could handle these other things, then we could handle burying a child. And so on December 27th, he was born on the 25th. And on the 27th, we placed this tiny little white casket into the ground. And Christmas has never been the same for us. Wow! I remember going out to the, to the cemetery when his tombstone finally came. You know, it takes a little while for the tombstone to come and just show up and everything. And so he'd been buried there and there was fresh flowers still. And I remember going out and just standing there and saying, God, I was so angry. And I said, God, you owe me. You owe me. And Of course, he didn't. But that's what you say in your anger. You owe me. I want a child. Why would you do on Christmas? Are you kidding me on Christmas? Why would you do Christmas of all th- of all time? So I have to remember this every year for the rest of my life. And I will never forget God spoke to me. And he said, I chose Christmas because I know what your future looks like. And I don't want you to ever be alone on that day. I don't want you to ever be alone on that day. And I know that in the coming years, your house will be full. And so on Christmas Day, you don't ever have to worry about being alone and being lonely on the day you lost him. And that could not be more true. We have two children, both through adoption. Our house on Christmas Day is loud and boisterous and full of love and fighting and throwing food and unwrapping gifts. And I'm never alone now. On christmas day i never have to be alone in that grief god as he always does provides and restores you know what you lose he gives back tenfold well, so
0: that's a tremendous story <laughs> yeah. uh, thank you so much for sharing i mean i I, I'm I've been over here wiping tears all time, so no, it's tremendous. And, and thank you so much for for speaking. I know that so many couples go through things in their marriage, and we t- we tend to hold it in, right? We don't want other people to know that we're vulnerable, or yeah. that we've failed, or that we have mistakes, that we're not you know good enough, or that we're not perfect, right? From the outside looking in. And so thank you so much for for saying that, David. I'm curious. I mean, while y'all are going through this and, and you know the loss of children and all of that, how how are you handling that as a husband? And being there for Melissa?
2: You know, I th- I think it was, I think it kind of came in waves, you know, because a lot of times as men, we may think, okay, i got to be strong for my wife. I got to be, you know, strong and not let her see my pain and those kind of things. But I think we had at that point been married long enough and we had been through enough that there were those times where I would just break down and, and start, you know, just start crying with her because it was just so overwhelming you know Mm -hmm. i also think that a lot of times you know because the mother is carrying the child there's the sympathy for her there's the you know what she's going through but the father feels it's i'm not at all saying it's the same but they feel a lot of emotion and they feel a lot of uh, pain in that process as well too so Mm -hmm. i think it's just like life it's just good days bad days some days you're proud of how you responded some days you're like should have done a little different you know shouldn't have got mad at whatever that was, you know, but yeah. yeah, it's just a journey and just a process.
1: I'll share a special memory. Of if it, I hope you're okay with me sharing this. He's sitting here crying anyway, yeah, if you're listening I, yeah. to this podcast. So it's okay, I think.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, about.
1: I wouldn't want to disrespect him and share something out of, out of line, but I know he won't care. But one day I um, was big and pregnant and I had a lump on my lunch hour. I came home. I was working at a church and I came home and David was lying on the floor of our living room, just literally curled up in a fetal position. When I walked in, he was, his back was to me, but I could tell he was shaking and he was crying. And he had on the song of all things, Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering. Blessed be your name. And he was crying. And I just remember it was hard to get down on the floor with my big pregnant belly, but I did and i just held him because i don't think that the fathers and the husbands are often held the mothers are yeah. but they grieve too husbands who have to walk the road of infertility they grieve too and they're not often they're not often cared for the same way the wife is but it's so it's so needed i mean let us not forget them Let us not forget the good man who has to stand there and hold her hand while she's told, you lost that pregnancy. Let's not forget the good man who has to pay for that casket. Let's not forget the good man who wants a son to bear his name and and can't. I just feel for those couples so much. David and I are obviously so blessed with children, but that came through adoption so don't even get me started on how much I love adoption. Don't even get me started. I have
0: five adopted siblings. <laughs> Do and, you? And probably a dozen nieces and nephews that were adopted. Oh, my so, goodness. Uh, I,
1: so, so listen, we, you may hear our tears on the podcast or see our tears on a video, but I can assure you, our hearts are healed and our hearts are whole. These Radke kids are bad, but man, they are loved. They are so loved. I've seen a and
0: few things in the show. They're so, terrible. Yeah. Oh, they're
1: terrible. Oh, they're some of the worst kids you've ever met. But that's just because they're so dadgum spoiled and they're a lot of fun. And they, nobody would ever know. People, The kids at school tell them all the time, Remy, you are just like your mama. And Remy will say, that can't be possible. I'm adopted. But
2: no, Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, I do want to go back. I hate, I know we're, we were. Turning a corner, kind of, but I do. You said something that I think is really uh, crucial that I think for a long time I thought, and this was before a fair amount of, you know, going to counseling and therapy and those kind of things, that, well, I just let it roll off my back. I don't let it affect me emotionally. and, And we did. We had a counselor friend of ours say, Do you honestly think that's true? Do you really think that's true? But what happens is we just tuck it down and we tuck it down and we tuck it down. At some point, it's going to overflow yeah. and that can be in, in rage that can be an emotional breakdown. It can be in making idiotic decisions. Yeah. It's going to, it's going to have to be processed. So as she was saying yeah. that, as far as about the, the man, I know a lot of times we view it as a sign of weakness or maybe, maybe the culture that we were raised in and hopefully we're in a little different culture now than maybe when, when we were younger, it's like a sign of weakness for a man to cry or it's a sign of weakness to say, Hey, I need to talk through this because I'm not feeling great about this. So, mm-hmm. just to encourage any listeners that if anything, it's a sign of strength. Right. It's not at all yeah. a sign of a weakness.
3: I really appreciate you saying that. So I, I tell people all the time, and it kind of sounds like a, I could definitely going through grief and then dealing with emotions. Like it, it's like taxes—you pay now or pay later, but you're gonna pay. Oh yeah, you're gonna pay it. And I'll, oftentimes, it's worse later. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do have a question though. First, thank you guys so much for your transparency and your openness. I'm like keeping having to keep myself from absolutely falling apart because I know the journey has been a little difficult but you guys are here and you've held on together and it's really a beautiful story it really really is I do have a question though about because again I, I not only do I work with people I have a lot of friends that are going through challenges with infertility then also challenges with adopting what was that like for, for the kiddos as they got older? How did you guys discuss it with them? Because it sounds like they know. Mm-hmm. So how did you guys discuss that with them? Because I'm thinking of some of our listeners that are going through this, and they're going, well, how do I navigate this? Because if they're in the process of adopting and they have little ones, what does that look like? Because it, it sounds like it's worked out well with, with the two kiddos you'll have. Mm-hmm. So what, is that, what did that look like for you guys?
2: Well, I would say, first, we've had several friends that have gone through like the adoption journey, and to be honest, I don't feel like we can always speak real well into the normal adoption process because Remy, our our daughter, who is a 15 now, it was kind of a friend of a friend that called us. They had a placement. They changed their mind. The people that were going to adopt changed their mind. And I believe it was all within like a six-week window that it went from her making a decision to be us. We were in Tennessee. The baby was in Texas. It was really different as far as, as that. I was actually finishing law school, and because I was in law school, I had connections to even help the the legal side of stuff because otherwise there's no way it would have happened in that time frame. And so we hear, we've heard so many stories, and I just don't want us to kind of go through that because there's been people with a lot of pain in adoption Yeah, yeah absolutely. Of, of not only years of trying to have an adoption, or they experience the loss of a child, which is very real in the adoption process. So, we're, our situation's a little different. Very similar with our son Rocco in a very short amount of time. We
1: were really blessed yeah. to not have to walk. but You know, some people that you know they they want to adopt and it takes years. I mean, yeah. ours happened really quickly. Uh, we were we're big proponents of if you want to adopt, like tell people. Don't keep that a secret because both of our children came to us through word of mouth. Like people who said, "Hey, I heard the Radkeys are are looking." to adopt wow. both of our children came that way wow. and so like I know so many young couples who are thinking about adopting but they're just we're not telling anybody tell people yeah. because somebody knows somebody who may know a young girl who is, yeah. is trying to make that decision but one of the the best some of the best advice we got was when we were going through the adoption with Remy before she was even born our social worker said can I just give y'all a piece of advice tell her Tell her she's adopted. Tell her from the moment she can understand anything. Make it a part of her, of her childhood, of her life. That was great advice for us. And the way we don't ever
2: it, let her discover that she was adopted. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So we we used the movie Tarzan, the little Disney animated Man. Tarzan. <laughs> Remy loved it. I started playing it for her when she was two or three. She loved it. And she would say, I know, what watch a movie. I know, what watch a movie. And that means I want to watch a movie. I say, which one? She'd say, Tarzan. I'd put it in. And finally, one day I said, you know how that gorilla found Tarzan and that gorilla took Tarzan back to the, that's called adoption. Did you know that you're adopted? And that's how I did it. I used the movie Tarzan well, yeah. and she could relate to that. After that, it was never a discussion. She always knew. I've always made sure my kids could ask me any questions. Yeah. We refer to each birth mom by saying Miss in front of their name. So, Miss Danielle, or, you know, Miss, I'm going to leave that name blank, yeah. but because both of my kids come from different mothers, it's not like they were brother gotcha. and sister. Yeah. Um, we refer to them as Miss in our house, and they can ask questions. They can ask me, I mean, if sometimes just randomly we'll be watching a TV show and Remy will pause it and say, Hey, did Miss Danielle ever, and she, like Remy asked me one time, what color hair did Miss Danielle have? And so I stopped and I tell her everything I know because why not? That's her history. That's, yeah, you know, yeah. and so.
2: And the and the and both birth mothers are very, I mean, they're heroes in our house. Oh, they're we very, respect.
1: Yeah. We talk about them with great respect.
0: I was gonna ask, I've seen some of your Facebook posts to the moms. Oh, and absolutely. That's phenomenal.
1: Well, both of them have found us on Facebook yeah. and both of them have reached out. I'd like to tell you if I could about, about Remy's. So there is a chapter in my book that I wrote called Dear Miss Danielle, and it is a letter to Remy's birth mom. Now, just FYI, her name is not Danielle, but that's what we call her on social media and for things like this. Remy knows what her real name is. And I wrote it called Dear Miss Danielle, and I wrote it in reference to a ball game when Remy was little, a softball game, that Remy was asked to pitch, and she was very nervous. And in the middle of the game, David walked out on the mound, and he gave her a pep talk, and one of the coaches took a picture. It's a beautiful picture of David leaning over, talking to her. And I referenced, I said, Miss Danielle, did anybody ever do that for you? Did anybody ever walk out on the mound and tell you what a good job you were doing? Did anybody ever walk out and tell you how brave you were? Did they ever do that? Because if they didn't, let me be the first to say, with this child, you knocked it out of the park. Hmm. You knocked it out of the park. What you did for us was so brave. You did it in front of so many people and you could have changed your mind, but you didn't. And I, so I referenced her in this story. Y'all, about a year ago, a girl that works for me sent me a text and she said, Melissa, I check your Facebook messages every day. I've highlighted one. I think you need to go read it. And this is all it said. Dear Melissa, Melissa, I found you on Facebook. I read your book. No, no one ever told me that. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I played softball too. <laughs> and I mean, come on, let's just take a minute for the girls who said, I want to keep this baby, but I want to make sure that it has everything and I can't give it everything. So yeah, needless to say in our house, those are some hero women right there. Those are some hero women. We talk about them with respect. I make sure my children think that they are the most. They've not met them. And I don't think my kids are ready for that just yet. My kids are very different. I think Remy would probably be more ready than Rocco. But when that day comes and if they ask, heck yeah, you get to meet her. I'm not afraid of that. We're very confident. We've raised confident kids. We're confident in our love. They're confident in our love. I don't want to, to raise my kids and be those nervous parents. That what if they meet? The, let them, let them. You know. So adoption's a beautiful thing for us.
0: It's a beautiful story you guys have. I mean, I, I don't,
2: I've don't. i cried a few times on our podcast, never this much. So, <laughs> no. I'm sorry. No, no. Really.
0: no, I love it. No. Yo, I, I, feel
2: promise. Fi- I feel bad. If no one has ever heard of us or listened to us. they're like, wow, this couple is so emotional and, and, <laughs> and depressing. And, 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 and he keeps crying all the time. No. We're no. actually pretty funny. We're actually literally the
1: life of the party. I don't know what's going
0: <laughs> on. I was in here thinking, man, we could have had like eight episodes off of what we just talked about already. Like, man, how can we do these <laughs> every episode?
3: And I guess my thought is, is the fact that you guys are so transparent with this. Yes. Because I know it's so difficult for couples to talk about. I mean, going through one of the things y'all have gone through, but multiple things, it's difficult for them to talk about any one of them. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that you guys are open about it, I think it gives, at least in my my opinion, I think it gives couples hope that that they've been through some really tough stuff and look where they are here now. I mean, the journey has been difficult, but. On the other side of it you're going wow look what god's done look where he's brought us and 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 look at this this story that we have yeah challenges along the way but I, I think it can give people hope that if first if y'all went through it anyone can go through it
1: david and i always say you know we we now have a platform on social media That I truly believe that we have, I don't believe it's because I wear my makeup great or I'm a social influencer because of how I dress. Lord knows that ain't it. I think it's because we realized a long time ago, Brene Brown always says that your uh, vulnerability is a superpower Mm -hmm. and we bought into that. And we've never lied online. What we share, the products we share, we use the stories we tell are true and the marriage we have is real. And we've never shied away from that. And I think people are drawn to it, yeah. but I believe that when I tell people, they and not get a kick out of it. We tell people all the time, look, other than the fact that neither of us have been drug mules for the cartel. There's nothing we haven't been through. Other than that. And we're open
2: to that. To be honest. <laughs> to, be, to be honest. Whatever it takes yeah. to pay the bills. Yeah. <laughs> After watching Ozark, we're kind of, you know. Yeah.
1: We're <laughs> watching Better Call Saul right now. We're like, come on.
2: We can earn a couple thousand. We can do this. yeah.
1: <laughs> but honestly, other than that, there's nothing we haven't been through. And I think it was God's preparation to put because he knew this platform was coming and that people needed marriages needed hope. Yeah. And they needed they friendly faces saying, "Girl, I've been there. Man, I've been there." And I don't know how people make it without Jesus mm. in their marriages, and I'm just not afraid to say that to people. Yeah. And I know that it might not Amen. be Amen. PC on social media and Facebook has put me in jail so many times and pulled down my videos. I just keep saying, I, I can say all day, I don't know how marriages make it without Jesus. You can say that all day long, but like tell people how to meet him, right? Oh, yeah. Like don't just say, I don't know how y'all do it without God. Tell them how to meet God.
0: Yeah. Like yeah.
1: let's lead people to that. So I have started, I, I put a post up the other day. I put the plan of salvation. <laughs> I said, and if you have questions, email me. Women email me. That's oh, awesome. they email me. And That's they'll awesome. say, one email uh, said just the other day, something has been missing. And whatever it is you're talking about, that might be it because I've tried everything else and nothing is filling this hole in my heart. What do I do? And I just wrote her, I wrote her back. Here's what you do. This, you you ask this, you pray this, you you know, yeah. and, and then there let's give it, let's give them hope. Give them,
0: yeah. I yeah. what we're looking for. I think people are hungry, you know, they're hungry for hope and they're hungry for that God sized hole mm-hmm. in their heart and in their life. And I just thank you both for being so transparent yeah, being here. It's obvious that you're on the same team and that's, we're huge advocates of you're your you're marriage, you're on the same team. You can't, you know, compare yourself to other teams. It's you. And mm-hmm. so thank you. You're an inspiration to everyone that I know that we talk to, to me and my wife. And I'm honored that you're here in my home talking and spending time with us this morning. We'd love to have you back sometimes not you tell us where all our listeners can find you at yeah, online i know radke is out there so uh <laughs> what, what's your main platforms
1: go for it babe you're, well, you're the manager oh Dude, yeah I, that's your job you're the manager manage me come on
2: <laughs> well you can definitely go to melissa Radkey.com, her her web page but she's very very active on on facebook and instagram and she's kind of becoming a twitter phenom now no really? not twitter tiktok I, i'm sorry TikTok, okay. i can't work twitter yeah. david i can't talk it's in short too, sentences yeah. well and, those, <laughs> and <laughs> I can't. well that's true and those twitter people are so angry oh they, they are, really so are angry tiktok she's actually becoming a, a little nice uh, tiktok Phenom, which... It's kind of funny, but yeah,
1: I know, I know that. I know the TikTokers are like, she's old, get her off of here. But you know what? I'm racking up the followers. So I I, I find that people keep following you. If you talk about your mother enough and I do talk (laughs) about her all the time and they're like, Oh my gosh. So we have so much fun online. We hope that we are good stewards with our platform. We really do. It's been, it's been a hard road, you know, because David left, he was a corporate attorney here in town for a large business. He left to come and manage me because really entertainment law is his favorite thing. That's what he, he studied. And so he came to manage me. We're a great partnership. We are very rare in that David and I love working together. We love hanging out together. Like we... We just like that. I have all my girlfriends are like, I would kill my husband, but I like being with him. He's so funny. <laughs> and so we're a great partnership and we give God the glory for it. I hope he's honored by by what we do on that platform and that we use it wisely because we like to make people laugh. If you can get them to laugh, you can get them to listen.
0: Well, y'all do very, y'all do very, very well at it. We were watching several of your videos even before you got here this morning and I love watching y'all on camera. We will make sure we include all of those links and links to your book on our podcast notes and we will see you next show.
1: Have us anytime. Welcome back. Thank you.
3: See you
0: guys.
1: Thank you.